Welcome to today's podcast with Crosspoint Church, where we share the gospel and we share our lives. With so many fun and new exciting things going on at church, we want you to be in the loop. So make sure that you check out our Facebook page and that you check out our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com. And now for today's message. So much great stuff happening. I'm so excited about small groups kicking back off for those, uh, for people in our church to be part of community. I love the men's small group that I'm part of on Sunday nights. I see some of the uh, men who are part of that table that are here in the service this morning. We've become like family and grateful uh, for them. It's a great way for you to connect with others and be part of a group of people who are going to encourage you along in your faith and you can encourage them along in their faith. It doesn't matter uh, what season of life that you're in or where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. There are some who are seasoned saints and some who are still very much beginners. And it's a great opportunity to take some of that seasoning and that wisdom uh, to be seated at the table with and take some of the freshness. And I'm just telling you, we all learn from each other. And so for those of you who are like, I could never be part of a small group because I'm insecure about my knowledge of the Bible and I don't want to be put on the spot and all of these different walls that you've built up as excuses to not be part of small groups. Can I just tell you, like, let the Lord knock down those walls. Try it. Trust the small group leaders. I promise you they're going to provide an atmosphere where you'll be comfortable, where you'll be able to, uh, to learn and grow in your relationship with Jesus. And so I encourage you to do that. I'm also really excited about Financial Peace University. So many in our nation live under immense financial pressure because no one's taught them how to handle their finances. And so, uh, and so it's not just for those, of, uh, those in the room whose finances are horrible. It's also for those who want to do even better with their finances and so I would encourage you to sign up for the Financial Peace University. I believe that it can relieve some of the pressure in your life, transform your family for generations to come, and, uh, and bless you. So I encourage you to sign up uh, today for any of those small groups. So glad that you're here. And if you missed last week, I just want to say Happy New Year to you. And so for those of you who were here last week, I was able to say it on New Year's Day. Happy New Year. And for those of you who were here last week and you're here today, congratulations. You have perfect church attendance for the entire year so far of 2023. Uh, keep it up. Keep going. Uh, proud of you for that. Last week, we gathered and we worshiped on the very first day of the year, and I believe that it really set the tone for the rest of the year. As we gathered together, we worshiped, we prayed, and we heard from the Word of God, and I believe that He did something in the hearts of those who were here and in our church, and I'm believing that the best days are ahead. In Philippians chapter 3, last week, we talked about how Paul writes this letter to the Philippians, and he, he tells them to imitate him. What a statement to imitate him, and Paul was passionately pursuing Christ-likeness. That's why he was able to say to those who were following him and following Jesus, follow me, imitate me. And last Sunday, we purposed in our hearts that we are going to chase after Christ-likeness, that we're going to forget what's behind and we're going to strain towards what's ahead. And so if you missed last week's message, I would encourage you to listen on Spotify or watch on YouTube our website or find us on Facebook and catch up to that and make that same commitment that you're going to chase Christ likeness this year and that you would be able to say to people and be proud of the disciples that they would become if they did imitate you. So this past Monday, I was able to spend some time with my daughter on a successful deer hunt. 
For those of you who it's your thing, I'll talk all as long as you want to after service about it. I'll give you all of the details of it. It was, it was absolutely amazing. And we got home, and I had to deal with the things necessary from a successful deer hunt, and I was able to take some of that and throw it on the smoker. So you could say that my daughter brought home the bacon, that daddy cooked it, and I'm telling you, it was good if I have to say so myself. After dinner, Jacob and I uh, and Wes went down and played some pool down in our basement, and when we came up upstairs, Erica had a somber look on her face, and I said, baby, what's, what's going on? And she began to tell me the story of Damar Hamlin from the Buffalo Bills. For those of you who weren't watching football on Monday or who've not watched the news, there was a player who uh, in the first quarter of the game was hit and uh, as a result collapsed on the ground and they did uh, CPR for eight or nine minutes on his life. And praise the Lord, he is uh, still in intensive care and in critical condition, but he is much better today than what he was on Monday. So for those of you who missed it, that's where we're going for this. And those of you who watched it, uh, I'm sure you're with me and you don't even have the words to describe uh, what happened. So she's watching this game in the living room. I slip into the bedroom and I rewind uh, the game to see what's happened and to listen to uh, what's transpiring. And, uh, and I'll just tell you that I, I watched as players and commentators prayed for this young man. This morning before first service, I was talking to Ty Burke, part of our church, and he shared with me a Facebook post from a person who I, I, don't, I don't know Uh, who this is, but it's Kathy Sprinkle, and she said, I can't wait, I can't wait until he is well and conscious, I can't wait until he hears the stories, the stories of how an amazing first responder team resurrected his failed heartbeat while millions held their breath, how grown men wept in horror at what they had seen, then dropped to their knees beseeching God to intervene on his behalf, how the I'm going to pronounce this wrong. Somebody corrected me after first service, and so uh, I'm going to pronounce it however I want to, okay? So the, the bingles, bangles, bangles, you know, however you want to say it this morning, how the, that team visited the Bills locker. Did I do okay? Okay, good. Thank you. So how, how that team visited the Bills locker room to encourage and show compassion to his teammates how much of downtown Cincinnati and the stadium was lit all night in Bill's Blue to remind people to pray for him. How hundreds of that team, pronounce it however you want to, and Bill's fans prayed together by candlelight at University of Cincinnati Medical Center. How $5 million and counting have been raised for his children's charity. How the anchors of ESPN actually bowed their heads and prayed aloud on worldwide television for his complete healing. She said, I can't wait for his mama to sit on his bed and tell him all the stories about how God used a young football player to teach a nation what is truly important. We're grateful that we've seen the progress this week and that his mom's been able to do that. I sincerely don't follow football, hence why I was playing pool down in the basement and didn't even know that this game was on. I had no idea who Damar Hamlin was. Never met him, imagine that. Probably will never meet DeMar Hamlin. But I found myself in this moment doing the only thing that I knew that I could do, which was to pray for him. There was no previous connection. I don't know him. I don't know his family. I don't know his friends. I, didn't, I don't know anything about him. Yet the human heart is stirred with empathy when we see suffering. Now, I don't pretend to know the spiritual condition of the players or the fans or anyone else for that matter. 
there was a moment in time where players of an opposing team were unified. There was a moment in time when fans from opposing teams were unified. There was a moment in time when people with opposing political views were unified, even if just for a moment to do what only they could do. People paused their lives. They were interruptible, paused their lives for a moment and were united in prayer. There's no effort to be politically correct. Someone's life was hanging in the balance. And when somebody's life was in the balance, people united in prayer. What I saw on the field, on the television screen, was terrifying. What I saw in the aftermath was inspiring. What I saw in the aftermath was inspiring. It gave me hope. I saw that people could rally, put aside their differences, lay aside the things that don't matter, and unite in prayer for the physical condition and for the life of one young man. I'm just telling you, it was inspiring. As a church, we talk regularly about the 12,000 people within a 10-mile radius of our church who don't go to church, who are spiritually lost. Almost every single week, we pray for a different nation, and we talk about unreached people groups around the world. People who have literally no access to the gospel. There's not a church and there's not a believer in the places in which they live. That's, that's what it means when we pray for these unreached people groups. Yesterday, I taught a class called Intro to Missions to uh, some students in Des Moines who are aspiring to be pastors. And in that class, we talked about unreached people groups. And I was able to video conference in a couple of different missionary units who are serving in se sensitive countries. And two of those units were part of this class a few years ago. And as a result of that class and being exposed to this idea of unreached people groups, now they've responded and they've gone overseas and they're advancing the gospel where it doesn't exist. And one of the couples said, I grew up in church my entire life and I had never heard of unreached people groups. She said, I had no idea that there were places in the world where there's literally no church and there's no believer." And her eyes were open. Can I tell you this morning that we're part of a church that's bombarding heaven on behalf of the lost, not only locally, but globally around the world. And here's what happens, is when we shift from being a spectator to that, spectator of that, to being a participant, when we unite together in prayer, when we can be interrupted for the souls of men and women around the world, I'm believing that God's going to answer those prayers and hear us. In both of these cases, the 12,000 within a 10-mile radius of our church, for the unreached around the globe, in both cases, people's eternities hang in the balance. When we pray in service and even outside of these walls, are you a spectator in that or are you a participant? What could happen if the people of God could rally, put aside their differences, lay down the things that don't matter, and unite in prayer for the spiritual condition of the community and the world around us? What could happen? Last week, we began 21 days of prayer and fasting. Pastor Madison mentioned that even earlier, and I pray that, that the time that you've spent with the Father this week has been sweet. There's something special that happens when a group of people join together and in, in corporately and commit to fasting and praying. There's no part of this season where we're saying to the, those outside our church, look at us or look at me. Instead, this time of 21 days of corporate prayer and fasting is all about us saying, let's look at him. 
right? Let's look at God and let's look to him and let's join our hearts together as we worship and we petition God together. My hope for everyone who attends our church is, is that everybody would move from being a spectator to a participant in every area of church life, right? And especially in this area of these challenges each year of 21 days of prayer and fasting, that all of us would say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be part of that in some way. I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast over these 21 days and move from spectator to participant. This morning, we're going to dive into 2 Chronicles chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at 2 Chronicles chapter 6 and 7, a little bit of 2 Chronicles chapter 1. We're going to jump around. The verses will also appear on the screen. Solomon has ascended to the throne, and he's now the king. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 3 through 5, Solomon builds the first temple. In these chapters, we see the detail of the construction, of the furnishings, of the location of the ark and the temple. And in chapter 6, Solomon prays for and blesses the people of Israel. He prays for the dedication of the temple in Israel, the house of worship for the people of God. And Solomon's prayer sounded similar to the prayer that the professors at the Bible college that I attended would pray right before an exam. Right before an exam in Bible college, our professors did not pray generic prayers. They did not pray grace-filled prayers. They prayed prayers like this. Lord, as these students have prepared and studied for this test, please bring back the things they have studied and reward the student in equal measure of their preparation. I don't even know if those professors were saved after a prayer like that. I mean, come on, for real? Like, you can't pray for grace for the procrastinators in the room. And Lord, please, for those that put in a little less effort than the high achievers in the classroom, could you please, for the pages that were read and unread, just magically let those words move from the pages of that book into the minds and then let it be visible as they take the test today. There were no grace-filled prayers like that. In 2 Chronicles, we see this prayer of Solomon. That's not a grace-filled prayer. It's very direct towards God, and we're going to look at that in a moment. And later in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, so many of you who've grown up in church could quote this verse. God responds to Solomon by saying, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, I wonder how many people in the room this morning realize that God is simply replying and restating a prayer that Solomon had already previously prayed. Solomon was like the professor who just laid it out there. He didn't pray for mercy for those who continued in rebellion or in sin or idol worship. Throughout the Bible, we see this principle that blessings follow obedience. We see it multiple times in the Old Testament where God tells people that if they'll obey, they will experience blessing. And Solomon would have known this in the beginning of his prayer in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12 sets it up. And then the beginning of it, it says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had it set in the court, and he stood on it. 
Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven, and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord God of Israel, keep for your servant David my father what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Solomon begins his prayer with saying how majestic and how great God is, that there is no God like him. He says that God's love is steadfast. And in verse number 16, he reminds God of a promise that was made. He says, you shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel. And then this word if is there. If only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. This promise that God made was conditional. There were no participation trophies. Not everybody was going to get a kingdom. Not everybody was going to get a temple filled with the manifest presence of God. There were conditions. And the condition of the promise was if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk in my law as you have walked before me. We have a lot of people walking around disillusioned with God because he hasn't answered their prayers the way that they thought that he should, all the while not even paying attention to the commandments that he's given or living a life that would even indicate that they have any interest in the God that they're praying to. In verse 18, Solomon asked this question in prayer to God. He says, but will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. He then describes the relationship between God and Israel in which God will be present in hearing and seeing and doing and responding. And for Solomon, a holy God dwelling on earth meant that God had just taken up residence and entered into a relationship with the people among whom he was living. And Solomon continues this prayer in 2 Chronicles, and he lays out some hypothetical situations. And in verse number 24, he says, God, if, if your people are defeated in battle because they've sinned, if they turn to you, will you hear them and will you forgive them? In verse 26, he says, if when there's a drought because they've sinned against you, if they acknowledge their sin and turn to you, will you forgive them? He continues in, in 28 through 31 with a lot of different scenarios. He says, if there's a famine in the land, if there's pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, those caterpillars. If their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands towards this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only, know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. In these scenarios, he says, he says, God, only you know the condition of the hearts. 
Only you know the hearts of the children of mankind. In verse 36, he continues with sin scenarios and the consequences of that being physical captivity. In verse 38, he says, if, if, everybody say if, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive and pray toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas and maintain their calls and forgive your people who have sinned against you. In verse 38, he doesn't say, God, if they don't turn to you at all, will you still respond in the way that they would like for you to respond? He doesn't say, if they repent half-heartedly, would you respond? Instead, he says, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul, then will you hear them and forgive them? You can meet, read more details in 2 Chronicles chapter 6, a, a, what you've experienced this morning is essentially a, a summary of that, but I would encourage you in your own time this week to meditate on this and read this. Solomon prays this prayer and God responds in a spectacular way by demonstrating his presence in fire, with fire. And God appears to Solomon and he speaks with him. And he tells Solomon that he has heard his prayer and is answering it with a yes. He's heard his prayer and is answering it with a yes. What a moment. What a day. Can you imagine if that happened to you? That God stood face to face with you or in a vision said to you, I have heard your prayer and the answer is yes. What a moment. For some of you, it would radically transform your lives because of the things that you're praying about, the things that you're bombarding heaven for. It would transform your life if God were to say to you, I heard your prayer and the answer is yes. But I wonder for how many would it not change a thing in your life? Because there's not a single thing that you've been praying to God about. God said to Solomon, I've heard you. And the answer is yes. What a day. You remember when you were a kid and you would need to ask your parents for permission or for something? So you would work up this great presentation. Maybe you didn't. I'm just telling you my life. And uh, work up this great presentation for them. And then as a kid, you were intent to their response. You paid attention to the words that were spoken. You paid attention to the tone. And you heard the response that you always heard. No. <laughs> it's not true, Mom. If you're watching, I know you said yes, it was Dad. <laughs> and that was a joke as well. So... Uh, <laughs> But when you made this presentation to your parents and then they responded and they said, we've heard your request and the answer is yes, oh, what a day it was. What a day it was. And this is what God has said to Solomon. He heard his prayer and the answer is yes. In verse number 12, then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. It shouldn't have come as a surprise to Solomon because God, that God would hear his prayer. 
Because in the midst of this Second uh, uh, Chronicles chapter 7, and in the context of that is chapter 6, in fact, the entirety of the Bible, and then even chapter 1, verse number 7, at the beginning of Second Chronicles, God and Solomon are having this conversation. In verse 7 of chapter 1, in, the, in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask what I shall give you. This is better than rubbing a magic lamp and a genie popping out. Like, this is God, the creator of the universe, saying to Solomon, ask me whatever it is that you want, and I will give it to you. God says, what shall I give you? If you were given the same proposition this morning where God said to you, I'm going to give you whatever you want. What do you want? How would you respond? Think about it for a moment. What's the one thing that you would ask God for? Some might ask for possessions or wealth or honor or health or the life of those who hate you. Some might even pray for a long life. And I think that whatever initially comes to your mind is what controls your heart, good or bad. And in verse number eight, Solomon's response to God was this, you've, to this question, what is it that I can give you? He says, you've shown great and steadfast love to David, my father, and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David, my father, be now fulfilled. For you have made me king over people as numerous as the dust of the earth. And here's his request. Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before this people for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. Solomon prayed for wisdom and knowledge specifically on how to deal with or govern, he writes, I love it, these people of yours, God, these people who are very numerable. What a selfless request that he made. He wants wisdom to lead those whom God has entrusted him with even better. What a great prayer for us to pray. God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. How do I deal with my kids? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. How do I deal with my spouse? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. How do I deal with my coworkers? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. God, how do I deal with my professor? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. How do I deal with my teammates? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. How do we deal in any of these relationships on earth that we have? God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. Love what Pastor Madison said earlier. When we think about the negative things in our life, what are we going to do about it? What an opportunity for us to pray and say, God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. Some of what I'm going through in life is outside of my control. There's nothing I can do about it, but God, give me wisdom and give me knowledge. In verse number 11, God answered Solomon. And he said, because this was your heart and you have not asked for possessions or wealth, or honor, or the life of those who hate you. You've not even asked for a long life, but instead have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. God tells them, this is what you're gonna get. I've answered it, and not only am I gonna give you wisdom and knowledge, I'm gonna raise that. In verse number 12, he says, I will also give you riches, possessions, and honors, such as none of the kings who, who were before you and none after you shall have the like. 
So Solomon came from the high place of Gibeon from before the tent of meeting to Jerusalem, and he reigned over Israel. God answered Solomon's prayer and gave him all of these things. And in chapter 7, God once again tells Solomon that he heard his prayer and that he'll answer it, albeit conditionally. I hope that you'll tune in for this moment of the message, if you've been tuned out, to just hear this, that as we look at 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 13, I want to be abundantly clear that this was a specific promise for a specific group of people of whom we are not. With that said, I think the principle still applies to us. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 13, God responds to Solomon. And he says, when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. He says, if my people, who are called by my name, humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. In these verses, God reassures Solomon that God will hear the prayers of his people and be attentive to their needs with conditions. The first condition is humility. The second is if his people will pray and seek his face. And the third condition is if they'll turn from their wicked ways. May we be a church that's filled with people who are humble. The simplest form of humility is to realize that we're not God, that he is. And that we would humble ourselves in submission to him. The second condition that God gives to Solomon is if that people will seek him and pray. May we be a church filled with people who will pray and seek his face. And finally, he says, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, may we be a church filled with people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord. As Paul says, this is our reasonable act of worship. May we be a church that turns from our wicked ways and inspire others to do the same. I believe that as we do, that God will hear our prayers. As we engage in the season of prayer and fasting, there's a difference between being a spectator and being a participant. A spectator enjoys watching the game but has nothing to do with an outcome. A participant is actively involved in the outcome of the game. And so when it comes to worship and prayer, we actively or passively make the choice to be a spectator or a participant. As we celebrate the tremendous news of Damar Hamlin on his way to recovery, I can with integrity tell you that I was not a spectator, that I was a participant. I was a participant in praying for him along with millions of other people, and I'm a participant in rejoicing that God has heard those prayers. As lost people in our community come to know Jesus, I pray that all of us would not be spectators of that, but that we would be participants, that we participated in praying for the lost, and now we participate in the celebration that the lost has come home. Can I encourage you this morning that whatever you're praying for in addition to lost people in our community and around the world, that you wouldn't stop? 
that you wouldn't give up and that you wouldn't quit, but that today you would make a commitment, God, I'm going to continue to bombard heaven. I'm going to humble myself, and I'm going to believe that you can do exceedingly and abundantly more than I could ever dream, ask, or imagine. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to seek your face, and God, I'm going to turn from my wicked ways, and this morning as I cry out to you, I'm going to believe in faith that you're going to answer that prayer. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, it says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Let's be people who are committed to pray. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room? Maybe there are some of you who've come in today. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You've never humbled yourself in his presence before to say, God, I am not God. You are, and I want a relationship with you. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him, and you say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, if that's you, you need to ask Jesus to come into your life for the very first time, or you need to see your relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see that hand. You can put it down. Are there others this morning? Let's all stand all across this room. There was at least one hand that went up this morning of someone who needs to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time, or who needs to see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna lead us in a prayer, and if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. But know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect. And help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul with all of my strength, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you prayed that prayer, we would ask that you would text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you along in the decision that you've made today and the journey that God wants to take you on. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to be prayed over worship team's going to lead us in another song. And if you've come here today and you're just like, I just need somebody to agree in prayer with me about this one thing, then I encourage you in just a moment to step out of your seat and come forward and let somebody pray for you this morning. As I pray, the, the prayer team's going to make their way to the front. Worship team is going to lead us in this song. And I encourage you today, step out of your seat and come forward to either side of the stage this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. For the wisdom that's applicable to our lives even today. Lord, we're grateful that we can turn to you and that you hear us. And that when we ask things according to your will, that, that you answer those prayers. And so, Lord, this morning I pray for those that, that desperately need an answer from you for whatever's going on in their life. That today would be the day that as they continue to petition you and bombard heaven 
that you would hear and that you would give a response and we'll give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.